Night racing is back at Richmond Raceway. This spring, top NASCAR drivers like Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, Bubba Wallace, Ross Chastain, and Virginia's own Denny Hamlin will battle under the bright lights. And this historic track also offers a rocking infield experience with unparalleled access to your favorite drivers and one of the best tailgate scenes around. For a weekend of friends, family, and amazing short track action, head to Richmond Raceway, March 29th through 31st. Get tickets now at richmondraceway.com. The amount of Bitcoin on exchanges are hitting levels not seen in five years. It's disappearing. What will this mean for the price? This is Around the Blockchain. Thank you for joining, everybody. Please go ahead, take a second, hit that like button. It'll really help us get in the algorithm. We have some great guests lined up today, so let's just get right into it. On the top left is... Favorite DJs, DJ Academics. You can always catch them in the Academy, the BitLab Academy, that is, not Dexter's. Kelly Kellum, how are you doing today? As my dad would say, I'm just looking for bringing me a high, a low. I'm good. I'm just patient, letting the markets do the talking. All right. You know what? You're starting with one point for hitting the high notes there. Also on today, he doesn't believe in living his life on the edge when it comes to storing your crypto. It's Paul Pewey. He might not use Ledger. That's right. He's using the Edge wallets. Paul, how are you doing? Was the Ledger news a, a breath of fresh air? Uh, not a breath of fresh air, but I'm doing great. Happy Friday to everybody. I mean, I always like to think that any bad news for crypto, regardless if it's a competitor or whatnot, is you just bad what? news for crypto. That, so that is... I'm all about like, like, let's just keep the good news rolling um, for as best we can. So competitor or not, you just want to hear good stuff coming out of the crypto space. You know what? That was a very selfless answer. You two get a point. Uh, but yeah, if you want to check out Edge Wallet, you need something new, you need a new wallet, check out Paul, all the products they uh, have to offer. Really great stuff. Also on today, look, when it comes to some of these S coins, look, it can get a little dangerous, but he might have the alpha because he keeps all this news close. Of course, talking about Mr. DCA himself, Crypto Keeper. How are you doing today? Are you looking for the next meme? Are you looking for the next Pepe? I am living the dream, and uh, I've got one popping off in about an hour, actually 6.03 p.m., so let's get it. Let's all right, it. make sure you're following all this content. And then, last but not least, we have Dusty BC. I tried to figure out what the BC stands for. I think it stands for Before Crypto. Dusty, what were you doing before crypto? Uh, Nothing, I guess. You know, crypto is kind of my life now. So, uh, you know. What were we all doing? I think we all just emerged out of the simulation <laughs> seconds ago. All right, let's yeah. get right into it. We're talking about exchanges running out of Bitcoin. We actually have some uh, a nice little chart that kind of highlights. This is uh, the amount of coins that have been on exchanges. I think we go back about five years, and it is not looking good. I just threw that at Owen real quick. This is the ETH balance on exchanges, on all centralized exchanges, and you just see it plummeting, plummeting the levels. Not seen since 2018, maybe even further back than that. Uh, also, Bitcoin's level has dropped to a level not seen since March of 2018. Uh, we crunched some numbers. We looked at the data. It's about 12% of all Bitcoin is on exchanges, while about 15% of all ETH is on exchanges. They've been as high as about 30% in the past. So really, really low uh, amounts right now. And the, the decrease in ETH seems to be coinciding with the staking uh, as the Chappella upgrade just went live. Uh, I think we went from 19 million ETH stake to about 21 million ETH stake. So the ETH staking jumping up here. But let me ask you, Paul, uh, you have a pretty good ear to the market right now. So I want to ask you just more about a, a macro trend. Do you think that this trend is going to continue as we pull Bitcoin off exchanges because we're becoming more 
savvy investors, or is this just <laughs> the fallout from FTX and the other contagions? Uh, it's a little bit of all of the above, and it's also just a macroeconomic trend within crypto is that we hit capitulation. Coins just simply get off exchanges. There aren't enough people that are looking to sell. Prices are low. It's been low for a while. Yeah, we bumped up a little bit, but not enough for people to feel like they're in a bull run where I'm going to go put my coins on exchange so I could sell them. I think it's that's one one factor. Number two, you exactly said FTX scaring people off using custodial services is another factor. And that's kind of a recent fire in our in our minds, right? That just recently happened. People are feared. And then a third factor, and I think this is a key thing that people don't realize, is that DEXs are getting kick-ass, mm. right? We don't need the centralized exchanges at the same level that we needed them before. If you're just going ETH to, say, tokens, you can do that on a ton of DEXs, starting with, obviously, the biggest one, Uniswap. And then now, with the advent of cross-chain DEXs and bridges, I don't even need a centralized exchange to go from ETH to Bitcoin, ETH to Litecoin. Right, that starts to compete now with the centralized exchange, like the multi-asset centralized exchanges that really made a name for themselves, like Binance. So that are the things like ThorChain and upcoming Maya Protocol. That's going to steal a lot of the liquidity away from these exchanges. Now, that's granted. I didn't look carefully at that chart you showed. Did that chart include DEXs? If it didn't, then it all makes sense. Yeah, yeah, there's a really good point with the decentralized exchanges as they get better. Hey, I, I need to spin up a wallet. I, I need to self custody so I can. You know, get the the Pepe as as we were saying earlier, because you know some of these centralized exchanges will not be holding it. Well, Kelly, you are one of the best people when it comes to these. I don't want to say obscure charts, but lesser known charts and what it might mean, and kind of breaking it down. I I never thought about a nuple three years ago. I was thinking of something that maybe sounded similar, but definitely wasn't thinking about that. Will this decrease of Bitcoin on exchanges is that going to translate into any kind of price action, and what kind of price action? I, you know, it's a great question, great sort of thought experiment. And I think one of the most interesting things about the digital asset ecosystem is that we get essentially as close to real-time data as, as possible, as opposed to every other asset. It basically as fast as blocks print. We have the on-chain data to see what the behavior is of all different cohorts, all different types of uh, people in the market. And I do think that, uh, you know, the Rational Root, who's a, a great analyst in the space, also was a speaker at Bitcoin Miami. He, he showed during his talk, you know, there's been a changing, a maturity, a shift in the winds, if, if you, uh, so to speak, uh, the last halving where the supply on a uh, daily basis is actually now trickling down it, it, because it's art. And there's a, basically an inversion of not having a surplus of supply anymore. So not only is there less uh, Bitcoin on exchange available to trade, if we look at this chart right here, this is one of his charts. This is a value map. And what's interesting about this chart is these bands are not only looking at, uh, you know, factors like realized price and, and uh, other other sort of key metrics, but also looking at the available supply. What does available supply mean? It means supply that's liquid, that's a bit easily expected or uh, available to be traded. And when we look at this, we can see we're still on a lower bound. We look at where we were in the similar zones in previous halvings. We're in an excellent spot. And then we can look at this chart. Not only is there less uh, coins available on exchange to trade, we're also seeing a maturity coming to the market with people moving to being long-term holders, meaning they're willing to hold through volatility. And this is increasing that uh, sort of illiquidity or the uh, available supply. And let's be honest, everything about trading and investing is trying to determine what the supply and demand dynamics are. So not many coins on exchange to trade, coins being held by people not willing to trade them. And then we look at this chart, USD to Bitcoin. Is this an asset you'd ever want to hold? 
This is U.S. dollar value as relate as you compare it to Bitcoin. So let's be honest. All things are pointing to if you're in Bitcoin or even thinking about it, you are absolutely on the right track. Uh, and so that's my uh, that's my two satoshis about it. All right, really great stuff there. Now, Crypto Keeper, I'm looking at some of the stats. I'll, I'll just reiterate here. We have 15 percent of all ETH is on centralized exchanges, but 12 percent of Bitcoin is on centralized exchanges. Well, in my experience, the MetaMask, the ETH wallet experience is much easier than the Bitcoin. And for every one person I might know with a Bitcoin wallet, I know 10 people with MetaMask. Were you surprised that so many people use centralized exchanges to hold their Ethereum given MetaMask's popularity? Yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't look at it closely, DZ. Was it saying that more actual value was held or more wallets? Percentage of all circulating coins percentages uh, so i'd like to see what those numbers look like broken down in terms of actual wallets because i would assume i would make the assumption that there's going to be a lot more wallets as it relates to ethereum than bitcoin uh but you know so so if it if that's not true then yeah it would really surprise me because you've got so many people actively trading using the uh, using the ethereum network right um and so with bitcoin as it continues to grow i think you've got to also recognize that the miners in in are going to be they're going to be self-custodying all of the og people are going to be self-custodying and when they introduce when we when we talk to new people about crypto that's one of the first things we get into these centralized exchanges are the places where everything has failed in the past i think we're going to talk about ftx here in a minute probably because that's you know has pushed people towards self-custody and so i think yeah bitcoin being the og in the crypto space you've got people that are mining self-custodying Ethereum then was the next, you know, next one to come up, next one to really be the big thing. And it stayed that way. Uh, I think it would be interesting to see the comparison in terms of number of wallets. But it does surprise me if there's actually more wallets that hold Bitcoin than Ethereum, just because of how actively people are using ETH to trade. No, that's a good point. Uh, you brought up the, the OG whales. Yeah, that's probably a significant percentage when, when you start breaking down the numbers, especially the lost yeah. wallets. You know, there's probably a significant amount of the early coins are gone forever. All right. Well, Dusty, yeah. we had just mentioned SBF. We mentioned FTX and, you know, how it was kind of maybe an event that led to people self-custodying their crypto. Question to you is years down the line, will we say that this was more of a positive change for crypto or a negative change to crypto? Thinking of all the people who now self-custody. Yeah, well, I'd say it's a double-edged sword for the most part. Because if you think about it, the whole FTX situation, even though it was awful, it did bring to light a lot of these regulatory troubles. Not sure if you guys have kept up to date with what the SEC is doing, but they're not doing a really good job. But they are, from a certain perspective, having to figure out exactly what is safe for American investors. Again, no, doing a horrible job at it, but where exactly should a U.S. investor be allowed to store their money? How exactly should that be disclosed? All those questions are now being brought up. And due to FTX, I think that was accelerated by a lot. These questions of hmm, where exactly are people allowed to hold their money? How do they pay taxes on it? Because if you think about it, if you keep your money on a ledger, fully self-custody, eventually the tools are going to get better for you know them to figure out or you're transferring everything to but right now if you really play the game smart and i know a lot of bitcoiners do it's just impossible for them to figure out which so from that perspective again it's is it good is it bad double and to, and to get back on what you just said and you talked about it with crypto keeper i personally think that the whole ethereum on exchanges being higher is quite logical because before you in almost any jurisdiction apart from the us could actually 
lend out your coins on exchanges, get some sort of yield. And obviously it's more uh, appealing to lend out Ethereum than Bitcoin because the yield is higher as there's actual staking. And now in a lot of other countries like UK, for example, I remember you can't actually lend out your coins anymore. So it still makes sense for a couple countries to keep Ethereum on there for the higher yield, um, which is just, you know, in comparison to Bitcoin and Bitcoin itself, like you just said, there's less wallets for it out there than just an easy MetaMask. So what Keeper said, I agree with, with the amount of wallets would probably be way higher for Ethereum. But also, if I personally think about it, I kind of understand why the percentage on exchanges will always remain kind of high because a lot of people just don't know where to store. And with Ledger right now, making things just way worse than it had to be. So uh, it's just kind of two things at once here. No. Didn't fully answer your question, but I personally think it was a good thing for keeping people aware, keeping people awake. Um, but from another perspective, it was bad because people now distrust crypto for a little bit. But the true OGs, they'll get through it. So it's fine. No, you actually brought up a good point. I had not thought about uh, typically you had higher APY yield for ETH versus Bitcoin. You know, I remember... Uh, I didn't stake Bitcoin on Celsius, but I did stake a couple ETH. And so hey, maybe maybe I'll see it one day, but you're right. I, I didn't think about staking any Bitcoin on there. All right, well, let's talk about Neuralink here and the ping pong playing monkey. That's right. Uh, they're trying to put chips in your brain. Are you going to sign up? Let us know. Type in uh, yes or no. Would you take one of these Neuralink chips? Uh, but they just got approved, folks, by the FDA for human trials. Human trials are about to start. Are you going to sign up? I Maybe DZ will. Who knows? Uh, this is Elon's quote here. This technology will enable someone with paralysis to use a smartphone with their mind faster than someone using thumbs. However, there is a little controversy, of course, you know, more so than just, uh, is this the mark of the beast? Are they going to put chips in us? But realistically, they're, uh, there's USDA uh, is investigating them currently. They've killed, it looks like, uh, at least 1,500 animals. A lot of criticism, some saying, you know, that's just kind of normal for the course. That's a whole nother conversation about ethics right there. But let's see, Crypto Keeper, you said you have a lot of strong thoughts. So I'm, I'm going to keep it real broad for you and let, let you paint this canvas as you like. Will Neuralink be a good thing for humanity or will it lead to its demise? Up, oh, you're muted. Is it Neuralink? Is Skynet attacking already? Neuralink got me. See, it's already happening. They're already in there. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I, I think that it will be introduced just like a lot of things are in the world as this, this great thing that's going to offer a convenience, right? So, so we look at it on the front end and you have this, they're using it and saying that it's going to create this, this, this utopia for people who have real deal problems. Now, do I believe that there's going to be technology in the future and even right now that they're developing that are going to be able to solve real world problems. Yes, I do. My concern is what people are going to do after that. Once people see, hey, wait a minute, he implanted a chip and he's now no, either you know, able to, to, to operate a smartphone and he otherwise can't move his hands or has Alzheimer's and now he can remember things. Like Those are beautiful, great things if they're able to happen. But the world will use this, the companies will use this, the richest man in the world will use this to further his empire. And the crazy thing and the scary thing that I think is, what happens after that? What happens when people start to use this technology to be just a little bit ahead of the curve, right? You have people that have more money than they know what to do with, and they say, well, hey, if they can do it for this, I could probably use it for that. And they're looking to get an edge. Now, you're effectively putting lithium into, or lithium-based you know, uh, products 
into your brain. Sounds like a terrible idea, introducing something like that into your body. You're also, how are you connected? It would be, I said this before the show, but like it would be crazy and it would suck for your computer to get hacked or your MetaMask to get hacked or something of that nature. What happens when you're plugged into the freaking internet and someone hacks your brain? Now, then the question becomes, do you even know that it happened? Now, I know it sounds like a wild idea, but you could be making decisions or thinking you're making decisions and someone else is actually pulling the strings. Now we take it one step further. What happens when politicians start getting these chips implanted in their brain? We already have people that are being pushed around and told what to do in the background and it's done under shady circumstances. You and I don't know about it. What happens when they are actually being controlled? So I could see this being a terrible thing. We had we 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 saw something in 2020 that got introduced as, hey, we gotta save everybody from this. What's next? Is Alzheimer's gonna be contagious and now everybody's gotta get a chip to make sure that their their lives are all better? I don't know. I think that it will be introduced as a beautiful thing. I think it will solve some problems, but overall it's gonna be a net negative for society. We're gonna see a lot of cool innovation from it but there will be a lot of side effects. God did not create us with a chip in our brain for a reason. Our brain is the most powerful thing on planet Earth, and we're trying to effectively alter it. We're trying to tweak it. It sounds like a scary, terrible idea. I can see a dystopian future right around the corner. I'm telling you, uh, I'm, I'm scared of this for sure. All right, well, well, Kelly, he brought up the example of uh, Alzheimer's. Let's just, theoretically speaking, Kelly, if you are diagnosed with very early Alzheimer's, pretty early, I would say, uh, you know, I think we're pretty close to the same age here. Theoretically, would you then want a plant if it meant, hey, you can now retain your memories and not have any diminishment of mental capacity? Well, first, let me say I really appreciate uh, all the points that Keeper made. Uh, and I, uh, with that, I think there is an order of magnitude uh, that we're fo uh, focusing on somewhat more and more exponentially uh, as a human, you know, human species of leaning in con to convenience over uh, understanding the benefit of, of work and patience for things. And so I think the I think what I want to have something like Neuralink to uh, prevent Alzheimer's, whether it's in myself or my grandmother right now, or, you know, what's some of the other stuff? I mean, as you know, DZ, I've had two uh, near, nearly life, basically life-threatening accidents. I've broken about 22 bones. I've had about 85 surgeries. I've been in a coma for a month, hospital three months, casting crutches eight years. If I, you know, I could see a, I could see a situation where I, I would have made a decision had it been available to sort of circumvent or shortcut some of those uh, issues that I had to deal with and, uh, you know, heal through uh, with something like Neuralink. On the other hand, had I not gone through the hardship of what I went through, then life wouldn't be as precious. So I think there's, on the one hand, uh, if I had a loved one or myself in a situation that this could actually be a benefit, I could see a reason and an argument to be made that, no, this is great. But on the other hand, it's just like it's paralleling, like almost at the exact same time, the same sort of debate we're having around AI. Yes, it will bring exponential good. But it doesn't do that in a vacuum. It brings exponential good with the potential and probably even balance of exponential bad. So what are the what are going to be the stops that are in place? What's going to be the process and how to use it? Is it going to be limited to certain medical conditions? I think all those things are uh, very important to figure out, uh, you know, ahead of time. And we can't do it just because we're trying to circumvent something. I, I feel like in the case that it, that it really starts coming to market, I do think it does need to be limited because what makes life precious, as silly as it sounds, it's the finality of the end. 
if we keep extending things forever and ever, while we may think we want it, it also drains the value out of each day. I think uh, it comes from uh, the novel Push by Sapphire. All right, uh, Paul, quick question. That was... I'm sorry. I said, don't, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to disrespect that movie. It's a very sad story. Anyways, moving mm-hmm. on here, Paul, you know, crypto keeper, he brought up a good point where, you know, we're marketing this as this is going to solve an issue. You know, Hey, you have a, uh, you know, epileptic seizures, uh, blind issues. Oh, now it's, we're curing something. What do you think about the assertion here that we might go from dire medical procedure to a vanity metric? Do you see that playing out? How does that play out? Oh, it absolutely will. No question about it. But I don't think that's necessarily a problem. Um, if you think about it, technology is augmenting us, right? As human beings, we're the, one of the only creatures that can create technology, um, if not the only creature that ever has created technology. Um, Steve Jobs' famous quote said, you know, um, we can't, we're not the fastest human on earth, but we can invent a bicycle to become the fastest human. Um, we can invent a car. And this is just another way for us to augment ourselves. Now, granted, you know, I, I like what was mentioned about the fear of technology such as AI. And fundamentally, I think AI is a net, I hate to say this, this is probably going to get me flamed online, but I think AI is going to be a net negative to humanity. Um, why do I feel it, 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 it's that way? It's because AI tends to take um, this resource, which is all of the training that is required to, to put into these models, and it fairly centralizes that. You need gigantic computers mm-hmm. to access that information, very expensive computers that are going to be in the control of the largest entities and the, and the wealthiest people. Now, we get to play around with that as individuals and get some advantage and you know, create our task list for us. We get to you know, create pretty PFPs. But for the most part, it's going to really centralize power with the, the largest entities. However, let's take the exact opposite of that technology. To me, um, Neuralink is, I don't call it exo- opposite, but it actually is hope for humanity to be able to compete with AI. And this is actually why um, mm. Elon Musk so strongly backed Neuralink. And you've, hear, you've heard him be against AI in many ways. What does Neuralink do? It actually enables computers, I mean, computers, enables humans to be able to access the information that AI has readily available at its fingertips. It also enables us to interface and create content, whether it be as a developer writing code, as quickly as AI could normally do it but using all of the human ingenuity that so far we, we have not been able to put into AI. So I'm excited by the technology and I have a history that actually makes me very aligned with it. Um, you know, for most people that know me, they know that I was a developer. I still do development, but I was riddled with RSI. Two million people a year um, come down with RSI, which is repetitive strain in- injury from primarily using a computer. Now this technology can re-enable a lot of those people to come back and interface, be the, whether it be to just get basic jobs, contribute to it to the economy in ways that they couldn't do, and I couldn't do for four years of my life. And so, granted, I'm going to say one last thing, which is just because the FDA approved it doesn't mean it's safe. They approve a whole bunch of shit to go into yeah. our body that, by far, is not safe. So I'm not going to be a first hopper on this technology. But overall, I think it is a, it is a good one for us to start experimenting with, and it is a hope for humanity to be able to, once again, kind of compete with AI. Especially that emergency use authorization. Quick follow-up. Uh, what do you see as the biggest moat for the, the few large players? Is this going to be compute power? Is this going to be capital to hire engineers? Is this going to be what their data set is? What do you see as the, the main the, moat? The, in the AI space, it's kind of all of the above. So definitely the compute power, like these GPUs and gigantic farms um, and the economies of scale to be able to operate them are just way outside of the scale that we could uh, be able to launch at an individual level or small I can't do it in my basement? Level. 
Uh, you could try, but I mean, might as well just mine Bitcoin instead, right? That's what most people would do. Probably do it with the Lenovo. Trying to do it, AI. right? And then it's the data. That's probably the biggest okay. other thing. It's the data aggregation. You know, one people, I don't know, what was it? I heard a great quote where like cryptocurrency is libertarian and AI is, uh, what is it? Uh, communist, right? It's kind of closer to that type of a model because it is trying to aggregate and know everything and kind of control everything. And so I get it. I use AI. It, it's a convenience for me and my workload. And I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to just throw it aside for ideological reasons. You got to stay competitive, but at the same time, I think you have to be aware that, you know, it is, it is something that largest entities and governments really like and heck even gary gensler likes it you know and doesn't like crypto so okay that's, all, right. that, that's all you had to say that's all you had to say Easy. the gary thumbs up uh yeah go ahead real quick i, I just wanted to because i hadn't thought about that i just want to shout out paul for bringing that to the point because one of the biggest one of the biggest enterprise not enterprises resources in the world today isn't oil uh i think Number one it's resource data. in the world is data time, and information, and data. And I had yeah. not even considered the fact that as AI you know, develops, there are centralized server farms that are computing, whether it's ChatGPT yeah. or whatever competitor. And that's going to be very interesting how those, how the corporations or entities that's managing that, how do they utilize the exponential and never ending sort of growth of knowledge from all this stuff that it's machine learning that's happening. One, one of the reasons I'm uh, bullish on Google's Bard, they have the data set of a little thing called YouTube. Mm, might be big. Uh, Dusty, final question here. We heard, you know, three really good breakdowns here. Where are you landing on this? Is this more of a benefit, more of a detriment? Are there more pros or are there more cons? What does Dusty think? Man, I think this is such a interesting debate. I've actually had the, uh, maybe I shouldn't even say that. Well, let's just put it like this. I've been in talks about Neuralink for so ridiculously long with many different parties, actually for investment purposes, let's call it like that, but not because I think it's a very good thing. It's mostly because it's kind of a potentially very lucrative opportunity. Anyway, I personally think that from an ethics perspective, this is the worst thing that could ever come out. Because if you think about it, I understand this idea of, okay, if somebody's sick, it could help them out. Sure, sure. But, oh, we should only do it for that purpose would never work. We all know it. People want to be competitive. And if one person can do it to actually fix their injury, another person can do it to make a whole lot of freaking money. And so eventually, as the spiral goes on, it's going to become the standard for maybe at the start, only the wealthiest of the wealthiest who are then going to get even wealthier before it eventually will dribble down, leaving the, let's just call it the ignorant, potentially the, the lower layer. I'm not sure what you want to call that. To not get this extra information, this extra utility, which eventually I personally think are going to either be called hippies or something of the sort, people that don't want to get this new device, this new extra layer. Because you got to understand, let's say three people in your classroom have it, they're going to excel over anybody else. So they're always going to be at the top of almost any single thing you can ask. Okay, not of a, let's do this a little social thing. But even then, even if you're asking them a social question, in theory, they've got the answer to what's been discussed for hundreds of years, you know, worth of knowledge inside their little, I guess, uh, how do you say it, connection that they've got. Now, I have another channel, right, another social media brand that's focused on AI. It's called The Business Realm, and I talk about AI almost every single day. And even that, I mean, I always think about, there's one movie, which is, I think, The, the Social Dilemma, the one from Facebook, where they, is that correct, Easy? Do you remember? Yes, yes. Uh, social Network. Well, what? Social network, exactly, where basically there's a dilemma of is all this social connection that we've got, is it good or bad? Because I'm not sure if Keeper or uh, the other guy uh, posted it just now, is your choice still your choice? 
And with this device in your mind, like when it gets hacked, like he just said, it's going to become an interesting and more interesting question. And then on top of that, I think of 1984 and the, the matter of you don't even know what the future is going to look like. Right now, we're looking at the future thinking, hmm, that's, that's pretty scary, but it's a pretty scary outlook. But we can't even fathom just how strange it's going to be the moment that this actually rolls out. Mr. Beast, one of the biggest creators out there, said if it actually gets out there, he's going to be one of the first ones to line up. He definitely wants it because as is logical well you have a very big advantage over everybody else so i think it's going to become the standard if it actually does go through all the approvals i don't think it's good in the same sense that i don't think a lot of the ai parts were good of just a normal human normal conversation of people's actual thoughts it's going to be thrown out the window it's going to be a computerly generated idea of some sorts against another computerly generated or at least interfered with idea or, or talk and i just don't think that's the way to live now, I think you bring up a good example with uh, education. There's going to be a student, you know, maybe it's a high school, maybe it's Harvard, maybe it's MIT robotics facility. There's going to be, oh, they have it. They don't, you know, uh, to that effect. I, I think if I'm watching certain people. I might want them to have a chip. If I'm watching a video game streamer, I want my Fortnite streamer to have a chip in his brain because he's going to crank 90s like there's no tomorrow. All right. Well, uh, but let's even there. Well, let me let me actually give okay. us, so for example, what um, uh, I'm not sure what his name was. I'm so sorry, but uh, Paul, I think we just talked about with programming. Why would you ever want a programmer that doesn't have the chip? Why would yeah. you? I yeah, mean, you oh, he can use AI, yeah, but the one has it in his brain. Yeah. You'd rather prefer that guy that can quickly look it up than the guy who has to type in his string to actually look at things, right? You're yeah, you always have like a 10x over, differential almost, in output. Almost always, you choose the guy with the chip, so there's almost no choice anymore. Right now, there is maybe at the start. But I don't think that would always be. Well, I, I look at it this way. Who do you want chopping down trees on your yard? The guy who's going to karate chop it or the guy that has an axe in his hand? I'm, I'm choosing the guy with the axe in his hand. All right. Uh, we got a couple super chats I want to shout out here. Just Jim, appreciate. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, super subs. Appreciate all the info, guys. Mom and wife here today. Lurking. Thanks. Well, this is the moment where I chose to shout you out. So I hope you missed it, Just Jim. Also, uh, Albatross, can Bard learn from chat and vice versa? It is my understanding they have closed APIs. So. No is uh, what I believe. All right. Well, let's talk a little Cardano. That's right. Uh, no, we're not going to talk AGIX. I know we're just talking AI. No, we're talking about actual ADA here. Uh, I pulled up the all-time chart here. Uh, you know, it, it looks like most charts. It looks like most charts. But I do have the uh, the telltale bullish DZ sign where they put in a second high uh, in the latter half of 2021 there. So it's, it's a bullish indicator for me, at least. Well, it looks like their DeFi starting to explode folks we are hitting all-time highs for total value locked for cardano uh let's throw out some numbers here 446 million cardano about a half a billion ada uh the value is worth it's over 150 million it's roughly around 160 uh at all-time highs you're looking at you know over 1.2 billion dollars there uh the surge of this you know hey cardano they're starting to get some daps starting to get a dex min swap handling a lot of volume we have meme coins on the scene. Snake, probably the cheapest one. We gave the shout out to the junkies early. They're up 2,000% or something. So good job, uh, unless you're like me and you sold a little too much too early there. But uh, however, their TVL, you look at their market cap. Let's, let's, just, let's just go back here. Where, where is their market cap? I, I believe they're going to be number six, number seven. Market cap number seven. However, when it comes to total value locked, they're not even in the top 20, folks. So... In simplest terms, Paul, maybe you have a little insight here. How are they such a high crypto when it comes to their market cap, but their TVL is so low? Is it too easy to stake with my wallet? 
it comes down to one thing, the power of the EVM, all the tools, all the developers, mm. all of the DeFi protocols, what people know is the EVM ecosystem. It all started with Ethereum. I mean, just look at Polygon, right? So Polygon has a lower market cap, exactly what you're saying, has a lower market cap um, than Cardano, but has, I think, TVL of about a billion dollars. So that's six times as much as what Cardano has, not to, you know, sort of piss off any of the Cardano folks, but that's kind of a choice that Cardano made. And as you know, a, a developer in the space and having looked at what we had to do to integrate Cardano, even just at the wallet level, not, you know, trying to build a DeFi protocol, it was significantly harder than obviously any other EVM chain, especially with its UTXO or kind of hybrid weird UTXO architecture. So I think one of the biggest things that a lot of these chains need to fact, uh, factor in is not just let's be the whiz bang, fastest, cheapest, cool, smart contract, you know, this and that you know, with some weird consensus algorithm, it's also the user experience. And when you talk user experience, it's not just user experience to end users, but to the developers. Because as a chain, you don't have an end user other than the developers that build on it, which then build the actual user interfaces that people use. And so the developer user experience just isn't there. And it's not because it's wrong. It's not that it, they chose something bad. It's that it's different. And just like JavaScript has become a, a de facto standard in the development world, new languages are different. They could be much better. JavaScript's not a great language at all. But just the fact that it's so ubiquitous and people are used to it helps drive adoption of whatever tool you're building within that ecosystem. And the same thing is true in crypto. They chose an ecosystem that's just different. EVM is what ended up blowing up. And so hence they're behind in that respect. So it's going to be a bit of an uphill battle from that viewpoint, I think. Uh, do you see the shift from Solidity happen anytime soon? Solidity is the coding language behind the EVM, yeah. the Ethereum virtual machine. Is there a shift happening or is it not changing anytime soon? It doesn't look like it's changing anytime soon, but the more important thing to consider is less about the language of Solidity because a lot of people don't realize in the early days of Ethereum, people didn't code in Solidity. They coded in a different language called, I think it was after, uh, not, not Python. I can't remember now what it was called. It was a different language, but it all compiled to the EVM. That's the most important thing is that you're actually compatible at that kind of at that virtual machine layer. And so, yeah, I don't think it's it's uh, changing from EVM or Solidity anytime soon. But at worst, Solidity might change, right? A different yeah. language might get built on top. But EVM's kind of etched itself as a standard within our ecosystem. Yeah, it's chiseled in stone, folks. All right. Well, speaking of chiseled features, Kelly, looking at Cardano, you know, we don't have the EVM. I'm looking at that price chart, though, and I'm wondering, hey, are we going to have sustainability? Are we going to have excitement? Are we going to have price action heading into the next bull run? Are the, the little cadre of developers, can they take Cardano to the next level? Follow up, does it even need that? Because it didn't have it last time. Well, I, I mean, I think uh, Paul brought up a lot of good points. I do think that uh, the Cardano... We want to compare it one for one with where Ethereum is today. And if we really look at the, the stages in development, some, would, some could argue there, there could be an argument to be made that we're probably somewhere on a roadmap, somewhere similar to the 2017 to 2018 timeframe in Ethereum. Uh, and, and, and also looking, you know, looking at this chart right here on DeFi Llama, this is a TVL uh, back in the beginning of the year, right about $48 million TVL. We've more than 3X'd it uh, so far. And I do think there's obviously a huge way to go uh, with uh, the development in the DeFi ecosystem on Cardano, but they're doing, they're doing a lot of stuff. They're doing it slowly, but they're doing it, uh, some would argue too slow, but they're doing it in that you know, pragmatic, scientific sort of route. You know, they're, they're working to get CBTC, basically a, a, a Cardano wrapped Bitcoin a network. They also have a partnership or some sort of a, a some sort of partnership with, a, I think it's Milkometer, Milkometer, I don't know how to say it, uh, which is also helping uh, 
sort of cross bridge some of the development uh, availability there. So I think there's still going to be a lot in store with Cardano and we cannot discount how incredibly strong the Cardano community is uh, just, I mean, for being how patient they've been, uh, you know, looking here at the chart, this is not what we want to see. We want to see it on auto. We can see we've got uh, a ton of room to go just to go to previous all time high. The question is, you know, what's going to be the difference between Bitcoin and all these other altcoins, whether it's whether it's Cardano, whether it's Solana, whether it's AVAX, is Bitcoin is essentially, of course, there's some upgrades that have come to it recently, but we can't just 100% guarantee any altcoin we have is going to get back to all-time high because we also have to contend with the fact that they're all, I mean, Ethereum as well, they're all still working heavily on developments of those change. And each, each time they do any sort of implementation or upgrade to their systems or their protocols, there stands to be a point of vulnerability. There stands to be something that is exploited. There stands to be some sort of loss of momentum if it doesn't go as planned. Of course, we all want to be moon boys and moon girls and hope everything's going to go exactly as we want. We're going to hit all-time high and go three or five or 10x beyond that. But we've got to make sure, this is why diversification in your portfolio is so important, because although that could be the greatest hope, not all the time, I mean, very rarely does exactly what you want to happen to markets happen. So I do think there's going to be, I, I have very high hopes for Cardano, but I am hedging my my risk by having still having a uh, basically broadly exposed portfolio within that. Yeah, it's, uh, it is, I do have a big bag of Cardano for, uh, you know, just full disclosure here. Crypto Keeper, I had to move this chart around because I saw that chart where you pulled it close from the top. Maybe we got a little reversal coming. It was a very, very ugly chart. You could kind of see, I don't know if we could pull it up here, but down from $3 all the way essentially down to 25 cents. And now maybe we're on the uptick again, but uh, I, I was a holder, you know, probably from, I think, January 22. Yeah, I, was, I, I jumped in that early. Wrote it down, wrote down a lot, you know, got, got more during this bear market. But do you have any yeah. predictions of what Cardano's going to do price-wise next bull run? I mean, do you see... You know, Kelly brought up the community. I like to call them Ada Gang still. Do you see the Cardano community rising up and more coins are out, you know, more shiny things? Hey, there's something cool over there. Or will they show up next bull run? Yeah, I mean, they're definitely going to show up and show out. The Cardano community is, I mean, you can tweet uh, something about Cardano and the tweet goes nuts. They have a very loyal community for sure. And as we know, with crypto, it's all about hype. The thing that I see, though, is, you know, Charles Hoskinson, let's use him as an example. He just openly talks about, like, I don't care about price. I'm building an ecosystem. I want it to do what I want it to do, and I'm going to take my time, and I'm going to do it right. Well, that's not sexy, right? And so what I think is going to need to happen is you're going to need, like, there's great things happening on Cardano. They just had Hydra recently, which works on what? Scalability and, and, and lower uh, transaction costs. Well, at the end of the day, Everybody likes things to be faster and they like things to be cheaper. Now what we need is we need it to be cooler. It needs to be the new place to go. While there are a lot of people that are 100% committed to Cardano, they're on chain, they, they, they are all in on Cardano, ETH is still the place to be for where people are launching. Even with high gas fees and quote unquote slow transactions, that's where people are. And the reason is people are comfortable there. They understand, they're, they're comfortable with using Uniswap. They haven't used like other DEXs on other chains. It's just the place where everybody's been. So I think what's going to need to happen is some big time players in the space, people that are, are well known, are going to really need to be hyping and pushing Cardano. 
And then there's going to have to be some, some part, either something on Cardano or some sort of a feature that is this new cool thing that sets it apart from everything else that makes it so much better and so much newer and, and so much more on the, like I said, sexy side of things to be able to get there because crypto is, at least for now, I can't wait until it's more utilitarian where it's just about, hey, this works. This is solving a problem. We're going in the right direction. But it's such a, a following of where's the trends that Cardano would need to get something to be the place to go to be able to move there. But the next run, yeah, it's going to absolutely rip. We see markets, if you paid any attention to crypto, up and down 85, 100 uh, percent, like it, 100, I guess we don't want that to happen. But moving up and down 85 percent, yeah, like that happens. We have the opportunity. We are headed there. I hold Cardano, full disclosure. I've got a nice little bag of Cardano. I'm going to continue to stack because I believe that, that, that the, I believe in the ecosystem and I do believe in the people that are already in it, that they're going to continue to be there because they're loyal to it. And then as they continue to grow, maybe we will get some of that sexiness in the, uh, in the ecosystem. But I have a hard time believing that it's actually going to pass ETH. I think ETH is the gold standard as it, as it relates to those layer ones. And so uh, I guess we'll, we'll find out. But I think it's going to do some great things. I think people are going to make a lot of money. Not financial advice. Don't run out and sell your house for Cardano. But there's a lot more upside if you look at the market cap on Cardano, uh, seeing as how it is you know, an awesome project overall. So I'm looking forward to it ripping. I hope it gets it. Wait a minute. You said Cardano might go up. House prices falling down, potentially. Hmm. I might have to mm, think about I'm that one thing you said. Uh, Wit that beans. Uh, Keeper, looking good. He get a new camera, or is that a tan he actually got? Well, he was in Miami mm. last week, so hey, mate, uh, I think it's, yes. it's that Miami sun. It's that Florida sun. All right. Appreciate Dusty, you. Thank you. Dusty, you know, Keeper brought up some good points. Will Cardano be cool? Will it be sexy? Well, the coolest and sexiest thing going on right now is AI. A-G-I-X, probably the best-known AI coin. It is on Cardano, one of the top coins on Cardano. Well, these type of coins, these DeFi plays and other dApps and other altcoins within that ecosystem, can they take that or can they take Cardano to the next level? And also, what's Dusty's thoughts about ADA? Yeah, so I've been making videos on ADA for five years or something. I believe even the first videos I've done on this, my YouTube channel, DustyBC, was uh, before they actually went live. And it's always because I believed in Charles Hoskinson's vision. And he's basically said, uh, obviously he knows a lot about Ethereum, right? But he's always said, Cardano is not trying to be the first to do something new. We're looking at what's basically been been built and making that better through their uh, research approach. And I, I kind of believe that idea of, okay, Look at what's already been done. Don't try to be the first in creating something completely new as a concept because it's going to be very flawed. Look at what the competition, so to speak, is doing and then do it better. And that's obviously been their approach and that's what they've been up with. And now I agree a lot with what everybody here has said. A lot with what Keeper has said as well of they're pretty popular, but they have a good following. Cult-like. Then again, it's all about the trend. Right now, they've hopped on the AI trend. Some things are doing very well. If they keep that up, Oh, the potential for Cardano, in my opinion, is just insane. But if we, for example, take a good look at the meme coins, even on things like uh, uh, like Layer 2s for, uh, for Ethereum, like Arbitrum, they're just not doing that well, even though there's a lot of hype. And that's, I think, mostly because people are just set and centered on Ethereum being the thing. So if it turns out that what we've had a, last year or something like that for metaverses with Ethereum being the very big thing, if we could get that now through AI 
projects and, and, and things on Cardano, that could be such a huge wave bringing it to the, to the next level. Even if it doesn't, I personally believe in due course, it is going to get closer to Ethereum. I also don't think the minus 90% or whatever the number might be is a big issue. I mean, I've seen almost any single coin in my portfolio go down 90%. And I never stress, you know, as long as you know what you hold, as long as you understand the vision, they've got a roadmap from here to freaking Tokyo. Most people didn't even look at that. I think even a lot of people that right now are criticizing Cardano don't know what's coming up and they don't care. They're just like, you know what? It's not Ethereum, so I'm taking my hands off. But if you really take a proper look, almost any single one of the things that they're doing is for the development or furtherment, I'm not sure how to say that, of crypto. And they're looking at what the other industry players are doing and they're just trying to make it more efficient. They're just trying to make it better. And at the end of the day, I personally think they've got the, you know, the, the better side of crypto in mind. And I don't think they care about overtaking Ethereum in terms of actual price or market or anything like that. They just care about making this ecosystem better and for a better environment for everybody to build on and all these projects to launch on as, again, following their own idea, they're looking at all the rest and they just want to make sure it's the best possible. So all right, uh, uh, do I, I think a... AI on there is going to be? Oh, yep. Or I was going to say, I have a 7 Go to $8 on. target. Have you put out a target yet? Are you comfortable saying? No. No? Okay. Okay. I'll put myself out there. I'm <laughs> no. DZ. It's not DZ smart, put man. himself out there. I'm, well, I, Why I would you? I mean, at the end of the day, it could literally go 100x from here. I, I honestly think if you just, not financial advice, if you close your eyes and just buy it right now and look back a couple years, it's probably, in my own opinion, not professional opinion, not financial advice, it's just going to continue to go up as the crypto market does. And probably because of the technology and the thoughts behind it, it'll do a little bit better than most other cryptos. But I mean, how far is it going to go into well, the AI overtake? Right? Not, not to push, just to play devil's advocate, you did say a couple years, 99% of coins, if you bought them a couple years ago, you're down today. So, you know, it, it does help to maybe watch cycles. Uh, that, that's just my opinion. Let us know what you think at home. I think we had a great episode, folks. I mean, it's been a long time since we, you know, pushed about 100 for a combined score. So looks like Paul ended up taking it home for some reason. He sounded like he knew what he was talking about. I don't know. But Paul, feel free. Leave us with some parting thoughts. It was a close one, but you end up taking it at the end. Nope, oh, you're muted. I think it's another singularity attack. It needs that. I know. It, it's that Neuralink isn't quite plugged into this into the mouth yet. Well, thanks yep. a lot, everybody, for uh, having me. It was a great time. Mm -hmm. Happy Friday. Enjoy the weekend. And of course, got to give the shameless plug for Edge for those of you that haven't tried it out. Give it a try. And actually, we have an amazing killer beta feature right now. DM me if you want to give it a try. It's probably one of the first of its kind in the crypto space. Can't announce it because it's not public yet. So this Ooh. is your chance to send me a DM and I'll put you on the list to give this beta feature a try. Guys, if you stuck around this long, you just got some alpha. Do us a favor, hit that like button. And also make sure you check out everybody's content. We have links below. I want you to go there. I want to make sure that you are subbed. Maybe even watch their last video. Leave a funny comment. Give them a thumbs up. That's all we got for today. Everybody have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. We won't have a show Monday. We'll be back Tuesday. I think Hannah has a video coming out this weekend. Until next time, everybody. DZ out. Have a good weekend. Everyone.